My friends, as we stand at the uh, uh, beginning of a new year, we uh, think about something upon which to stand. Because if there's anything that's certain at the beginning of the new year is that everything is uncertain, isn't it? There's so much uncertainty. There's so much unknown, so many things that we can't possibly know what's going to happen uh, in the next day, in the next month, certainly in the next year. And with all that uncertainty, what a blessing it is to have a foundation, something to stand on, something upon which we can place our feet and know that it is solid, that it does not shake or waver with the, with the, with the winds of time and with the storms of life. I found interesting, as, as we sang uh, that wonderful hymn, which we love to sing on, on New Year's Day, O oh God, our help in ages past, right? And we, we sang... Uh, Uh, hang on here. Oh, yeah, very, in the first verse. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast. Right? We know, we don't know what uh, 2023 holds for us, but we know there will be stormy blasts. And what can we stand on then as we think about the coming year? We need a foundation. And that's exactly what the Apostle gives us and what God himself gives us through the Apostle in our text this morning, which is 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. There's that foundation that we need to stand on. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Well, my friends, let's consider this text together then. And in the first place... Our text says, nevertheless, nevertheless. Well, that causes us to back up, doesn't it? To look back in the text and to find out why does Paul say, nevertheless? Well, because he had been speaking about two men, and you see them listed there, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And if you back up, evidently there were more men who had, uh, in verse 16, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. Right? And Paul says in verse 17, their talk will spread like gangrene. And then he mentions Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now what was the problem with Hymenaeus and Philetus? It says in verse 18 that they are men who have gone astray from the truth. And then he even gives us the error that they, that they taught. And in verse 18 he says, they've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Well, what is that error? What what, what were they teaching? What does that mean, that the resurrection has already taken place? Well, my friends, in the time of of, uh, the New Testament, there was this error that was beginning to stir in the New Testament times. It was the error of Gnosticism. And and Gnosticism was, was later in the church, but already the seeds of it were beginning to percolate, you might say, amongst the Christians of the time. And Gnosticism had all sorts of different beliefs, but one of the beliefs at the very center of their religion was the idea that physical things are bad. So, for instance, they believed that human beings were body and soul. But because of this bias against physical things, they believed that the body of a human, right, this thing, right, that we carry around with us, this body is evil, and that it's actually the problem. And that in their view, salvation 
was if you could be delivered from this body. If you could get rid of this body, your problems would be fixed. Right? And you can kind of see, right, uh, how they would come to such a, an opinion, right? Because, I mean, don't we feel it every day, friends? Our, our bodies are always dragging us down. Our bodies get sick. Our bodies have pain, right? Our bodies uh, have to rest every day for another eight hours, right? And, and then we get up, and then we just get more and more tired, right? It's always our bodies that are dragging us down, right? Some of us might want to work 48 hours straight, but you can't. Your body won't let you, all right? Your body gets weary. Well, the Gnostics took this then to mean that the body itself is sinful, that there's something sinful about this flesh. And probably the seeds of this idea were already present in Hymenaeus and Philetus because they denied a physical resurrection. And of course they denied a physical resurrection, right? If you believe that this body is evil, that this body is something sinful and something to be gotten rid of, you certainly would not want to believe that after we die, God will raise us up again and reunite us with our body again the body is the problem. I don't want to be reunited with my body again. I want to get rid of my body. I want to get shed of that body so that I can just have a soul. Then I'll be, then I'll be good. That's what I want. That's what the Gnostics taught. And very likely Hymenaeus and Philetus also taught that, which is why they didn't teach a physical resurrection, but they probably taught a spiritual resurrection. In other words, that Jesus Christ is risen in our souls not physically in it, that, that we receive our body back, but that Jesus Christ himself is resurrected within us. Which, I mean, that's a fine idea, right? I mean, there's scripture that, that talks about Christ being risen within us. Christ, uh, you know, taking possession of our soul, right? I mean, there's other scripture teaching that teaches that. But we must never deny a physical resurrection that at the end of time, God is going to take the souls of all people, both uh, the saved and the lost, and he's going to reunite them body and soul again. Right? And the wicked will go into hell forever, and the righteous will be brought into the new Jerusalem. So, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're teaching this error that the resurrection has already happened. Why, it happened when you were converted. When the Lord Jesus Christ took possession of your soul, he, he rose again, as it were, within you. But no physical resurrection. Not Jesus' physical resurrection, and not a physical, physical resurrection for people either. Well, Paul says that is straying from, their to, from the truth. And they upset the faith of some. And now he says, nevertheless. Right? You follow his train of reasoning there. This is what Hymenaeus and Philetus are teaching. They're upsetting the faith of some. Nevertheless. In the face of that, in spite of that, the foundation of God, Paul says, the firm foundation of God stands. So let's then think about the second point there, the firm foundation. Very briefly, my friends, you know that uh, there are many foundations in houses that are not firm, right? They're cracking. In fact, if you go out to buy a house, I suspect that one of the things you're going to look at first is the foundation. Because you know that you know cracked walls and, and ceilings that need to be painted and kitchen cabinets can all be replaced and fixed, right? Bathrooms can be redone. But you can't easily fix a foundation, Right? That's going to be extremely costly, if even possible at all. And so it's one thing to have a foundation, but my friends, to know that a house has a firm, solid foundation, that's another thing. That's what we have to have, a firm foundation. And if you look at that picture I put on the outline, children, you can see the walls already of that house being built, but those walls are not the foundation. Right? That's just the walls of the house. 
those walls are sitting on a foundation. Right? I believe, I believe the, the more contemporary word would be the footings, right? That that block of cement that sits underneath that wall that the walls are built upon. Well, says Paul, the foundation of God is firm. It's not cracking. It's not wobbling. It's not wavering. There's a, there's a shed on the corner of Westnidge and um, Celery Lane. I don't know if you've seen it, but it always kind of catches me because the foundation, one side of it is dropping. And so the house is literally kind of cracking in half. And uh, it's kind of a sight to see. You can see the man has tried to patch it up, but still the house is, is I mean, sorry, it's not a house, it's a shed. And it's, it's coming apart right in the middle, right? Because one side of the foundation is sinking down into the, into the soil, evidently. Well, that's not a firm foundation at all, is it? That's not a house that you'd want to live in. That's a, that's a shaky foundation. It's a sinking foundation. I think I told you a while back when I was in Alberta, there was this church, and they were having terrible problems with the foundation sinking, uh, not just inches, but feet. And they kept trying to shore it up. They were having terrible problems with the one corner of their church was actually sinking into the ground. Well, at any rate, how necessary it is to have a, a firm foundation. But in the next place, we're told that this firm foundation is of God. It is a firm foundation of God. Hymenaeus and Philetus were also teaching truths. They were teaching that the resurrection of, 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 of the body had already happened. Well, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. They were teaching that the resurrection had already happened spiritually in our hearts when we were converted. But Paul says that's not of God. Maybe, maybe it would be better to say from God. The teaching that comes from God is not that the resurrection has happened already. The resurrection is something future. Yes, there's a spiritual resurrection that takes place when we're saved. But that's not the resurrection the scripture is talking about. When it talks about the resurrection of the body, the body is not sinful and evil. The body is good. And so that teaching is not from God. But Paul's teaching does come from God. And So my friends, we can say that the reason... The foundation is firm, is because it's of God. Those two things are related together as cause and effect. The foundation is firm because the teaching comes from God. That's how we have to see the connection between those two things. Any teaching that doesn't come from God, well, it might be true, it might be false, but it isn't a firm foundation, right? Because we know that any teaching that comes from God is infallible. By the way, my friends, do you understand the difference between the word inerrant and infallible? Inerrant means that there's no error present in it, right? We know that the scriptures are inerrant. And yet the news story you read in the newspaper might be inerrant as well, right? It might not have any errors in it. Anything else that you read could be inerrant. It might not be inerrant. But it's not infallible, right? Because inerrant means there's no errors present. But infallible means that it's not possible to err. That it is not possible for there to be an error. When we pick up this book, yes, we claim it is inerrant, but we go one step farther. We say it is infallible. There, it is not possible. That means even before I read a word of this book, I know that there is no error in this book. But when I pick up a magazine or a book at home, Right? It may be inerrant. I don't know. I'd have to look and see once. And even then, I, I, I wouldn't be able to guarantee that it was inerrant. But let's just assume for sake of discussion it was inerrant. But it's never infallible. 
And so, my friends, when we talk about the firm foundation of God, we're talking about something that is of God. It's from God. And therefore, it is inerrant and infallible. So you see the difference, right? You have over here Hymenaeus and Philetus teaching error, right? And they're upsetting the faith. You see it? It's like a boat in a lake. It's rocking back and forth. It's unstable. It's shaking. But Paul says no. He says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God, from God, is infallible. It doesn't shake. It doesn't waver. It's solid. You can stand on it and be absolutely certain that no matter what storms, right? Our shelter from the stormy blast, said the song we sung. Well, this morning, we're talking about our foundation under us. Can't either be broken or shaken by the stormy blast because it is of God. Well, my friends, I come then to the fourth point. Because on the foundation of this house, on the foundation that we're standing on, is an inscription. Now, children, how many of you, when your, when your father or when somebody was uh, putting concrete in at your house, you remember this? What did you do when the concrete was just starting to set up a little bit, right? Did the man let you come and take your hand and put it in it? Did you do that? I think you did, right? And maybe he even let you write your name in it, right? Because the concrete is soft, right? And you could put your finger in it and you can write something there, or, Put your handprint in it or your footprint, right? And then when that cement hardens, it's there permanently, isn't it? Well, in a, in a similar way, in the ancient world, the builder, the architect of the building, he would like to put an inscription, right? An inscription in the, in the foundation stone, in that cement, right? In that uh, mortar, he would put his name or he would put something else, whatever. He could, he could, he could put a little brand symbol there, right? But whatever it is, this was very common, to see in those days that there would be an inscription on the foundation, either identifying the builder or the architect or or making some comment, some statement. Sometimes it was a religious statement about the, the God that the person, God with a small g, that the person happened to worship. Well, now Paul is using that picture. He says, look, look at the foundation that we're standing on. And what do you see there? I see two inscriptions, he says. Two inscriptions written in that cement. And the first one says this, the Lord knows those who are his. Now, my friends, what a, what a comfort that must have been for Paul. Do you know where Paul is in 2 Timothy? Remember we talked some time ago about uh, the, the prison epistles. Remember uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and Philemon were written while Paul was in prison. But remember, that was a very loose imprisonment, right? Paul had lots of freedom. It was more like a house arrest, really. And eventually he was freed. He was liberated. He was set free from that prison. But later, Paul was arrested again. And this time, things had changed very dramatically. Now, the Roman government had turned against the Christians. And Paul knows his days are numbered. And now he's not under a simple house arrest. Now, he's in a deep, dark, cold prison. Later in the book of Timothy, he'll ask Timothy to come and bring the coat. He's cold. He's suffering from the cold. He needs his coat, right? So you can imagine Paul's situation as he's shackled in this prison, probably with a Roman guard very nearby. He knows his end is coming. He's not going to be set free from this imprisonment. His days are numbered. And in that situation, my friends, Paul turns And he looks at the foundation of his house. He looks at the foundation that he's standing on. And what does he see there? He sees an inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. 
Isn't that a beautiful comfort for the apostle in his situation at that time? That when all the world around him seemed to be shaking and creaking. Elsewhere, Paul had said, in 2 Corinthians, he says, Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. All the responsibility and the weight of the churches seemed to come down on Paul. Everywhere there were Hymenaeus and Philetus. People sowing error. Remember the whole letter of Galatians written to those churches in, in, uh, in Asia Minor, right? To tr- bring them back from the truth. And all this weighs down on Paul. It seems like the whole earth is shaking. It seems like the church is shaking. Where are the people that God raised up to stand firm for the truth? And Paul can grow so discouraged as he sits in that prison. And maybe he even thinks like Elijah, when I leave, when, when, I'm, when I'm taken out of this prison and executed, who's going to care for the churches? And then he looks, my friends. And by the grace of God, he's given to look at the foundation that he's standing on. And what is that foundation? The Lord knows them who are his. You see, my friends, Paul is given a sight by the Holy Spirit of God to look back into eternity past. And what does he see there? He sees the electing decree of God there. He sees God setting his love upon his chosen people. And Paul finds that that is a rock, a foundation that he can stand on, that never can be shaken. That no matter what might happen to him, no matter what might happen to the churches, no matter how many Hymenaeuses there are in Philetus, God's electing decree can never fail. The Lord knows them who are his. And Paul finds in that decree of election such a rock of comfort. And my friends, I put there on the outline the the text that Jesus says in John 10, where Jesus says to the Jewish people who who are quarreling with him, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. My friends, do you see Paul this morning shivering in that dark prison with all the suffering that came upon those who were imprisoned in these these terrible places? But his heart is warm. His mind is filled with comfort because he strengthens himself in the Lord his God and especially in this decree of election, where Paul can say, I am an elect, chosen vessel of God. I have heard Jesus' voice, and Jesus knows me. I follow him, and Jesus has given eternal life to me, and I will never perish, and no one will snatch me out of his hand. Now there's a rock that he can stand on, but Paul sees another inscription. He sees another inscription. This one's much more challenging, isn't it? Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. This is the second inscription that Paul sees as he looks on that foundation stone and he sees another inscription there. Let everyone who names the name of Christ. And that's, by the way, what we should understand by the word Lord there. The word Lord, when Paul uses it, is almost always a reference to Jesus. 
Everyone who names the name of Jesus or the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, my friends, we see here two things, don't we? We see in the first place that these people name the name. They name the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, my friends, very simply, this is a person who names the name of Jesus. In other words, he claims to be a disciple of Jesus. He has declared that even publicly. This is what Mr. Van Dellen did uh, last week in our congregation when he stood, right? And he publicly declared his faith in Jesus Christ and his desire to join this church. And what Caleb and Adrian also hope to do in a coming Lord's Day, when they stand and publicly declare, they publicly are going to name the name of Christ. They publicly declare, I am the Lord. I am a disciple of Christ and I'm going to follow him. And I call upon all you as witnesses that I take my stand on Jesus Christ this morning. These people name the name. Now that in the first place, my friends. That's the first thing Paul sees on that inscription, that they name the name of Christ. But in the second place, they withdraw from iniquity. They abstain from sin or from wickedness. That word abstain means to withdraw, to pull back, to to leave, to go away from wickedness. Now, my friends, the, the implication here is that one could name the name of Christ publicly, but not abstain, not withdraw from evil. Those two things don't necessarily go together, do they? That's what we call hypocrisy. When the name, when the name of Christ is named, but a person does not abstain, he does not withdraw from sin and evil. But now Paul says, as he reads this inscription upon this foundation that he sees in his mind's eye, he says those two things must be together. That when we name the name of Christ, we withdraw, that means we, we, we pull away from evil. We leave the tents of wickedness and evil. We leave behind those friends. And this is what Paul sees. And my friends, those two things then go together. Naming the name of Christ and withdrawing from iniquity. And we can tie that back into the first inscription as well. The Lord knows them who are his. Now the Lord knows them. But how do we know them? How do I know that I am one of those who is known by God from all eternity in his electing decree? Well, my friends, these two things, we name the name of Christ. And by the way, that's important to, to, uh, to, 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 to think about in the first place, naming the name of Christ. I'll say more on that later. And they withdraw from iniquity. They, they, they leave the paths of sin. And now this is the character, this is the life of that person who is an elect child of God. Again, to take you back to what Jesus said, right? Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I think you see the same, the same emphasis there. You see both sides of the truth, right? Jesus says, I know that you are not of my sheep. Now, here's how you will know that. They hear my voice, and they follow me. Paul says, the Lord knows them who are his. And then he says, for us, we know, by naming the name of Christ, and by withdrawing or abstaining from wickedness. Well, my friends, as we begin the new year, what wonderful and blessed truths these are as we take our first step into 2023. And my first application is this. Check your foundation. Check your foundation. Again, I began the sermon 
by talking about all the uncertainty that we face as we face a coming year. What sickness, my friends, will come to you in 2023? What accidents? What trial? What reverse, perhaps, in our business or in our own life, whatever it may be, may come? What fond ambitions will be dashed? But then we can also look at the flip side. What great success might we enjoy? What advances in our business may we enjoy? We don't know. Negative, positive. My friends, we have to say the truth, that maybe our name will be added to the list of those who God takes out of this life and brings home. We read them yesterday, last night. We read the list of those who passed away in this church. And who knows but that in 2023, we will come to the end of our own life. Where do we stand then? How do we take that first step? It seems so shaky. It seems so hesitant. I, I, don't, I don't dare take that first step into 2023. But my friends, Paul lays out the foundation for us. And it's as if Paul stands here this morning and he says, Brothers, sisters, lean down. Look at the foundation. Because there's something written there. Do you see it? The Lord knows them who are His. My friends, there's a truth that you can take hold of in both your hands and you can step boldly out into 2023. The Lord knows them who are His. Check your foundation. Because that truth teaches us, my friends, to look back all the way into a never-begun eternity and to see that God has set His love upon His people and He has resolved to call them out of darkness to send His Son to die for them and to bring them to Himself. And I ask you this morning, my friends, I ask you as you step out into 2023, will God lose one of His children? Will God lose one whom He has called, whom He has chosen? The Lord knows them who are His, and most of them He will save and bring to glory. My friends, that's a terrible blasphemy, isn't it? All of them, not one will be snatched out of his hand. My friends, isn't this a a firm foundation to stand on as we face the new year? The Lord knows them who are his. You know, the the decree of God's election is such a a difficult thing for Christians to, to take hold of. But my friends, this is how God would have us understand this decree. Right? Not to try to search endlessly into God's book of life and to see if my name is written there. But to know that if we hear Jesus' voice and we answer his call and we follow him, if we name the name of Christ, then we can comfort ourselves by looking back into God's decree and seeing the rock-solid foundation that that is. Never can be shaken. God will never lose one of his people. He knows them, and he has set his love upon them. What a comfort that is, my friends. And it's the same comfort that Paul speaks of in Romans 8. You know that the whole chapter of Romans 8 is speaking about the assurance of the salvation of God's people. And Paul does the same thing with the decree of election. My friends, let's not be afraid of that doctrine. It's such a precious comfort to the people of God. 
Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And then Paul says in verse 30, and those those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorifies. And my friends, we are to understand that then, is that all those whom God has predestined, he calls. And all those that he calls, he justifies. And all those that he justifies, he will glorify. Not one will be missing. That's the glorious assurance that we have when we look at our foundation. And we see that written there. The Lord knows them who are his. Well, my friends, in the second place, we see another inscription written there. And so in the first place, we check our foundation. As we step into 2023, we look at the foundation that we're standing on. And now we check our life. Check your life. Because Paul says it is time then, if we understand ourselves to be elect people, chosen by God, we must name the name of Christ and we must withdraw from iniquity, withdraw from sin. Now, my friends, I speak to people who have named the name of Christ because you are here and you are members of this church. If you are not a member of this church, then you should step forward, right? And name the name of Christ. You should do it publicly. Name the name of Christ. There are so many people today uh, who believe, uh, uh, and we've all heard them, right? Uh, They're spiritual, but they're not religious. Now, my friends, it's a very serious thing. And hear me this morning. You cannot be a Christian if you are not a part of a life of a local church. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you don't name the name of Christ. It's that serious. Can you imagine, my friends, a, some, a Christian in the Bible who's not a member of the body of Christ? A Christian that's sort of a lone ranger just floating out there in the ether on his own. No, no, no. In the New Testament, all Christians are members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ. They participate in the local life of a local church. They are members of a local church. That's serious, isn't it? what the New Testament teaches us about membership in a local church. We must name the name of Christ or we have no reason to believe that we are those whom God has known from all eternity. But the Bible also says, and Paul says, that we must abstain from iniquity. We must withdraw from sin. Now, my friends, as we, as we stand in front of a new year, I would like to challenge you then and to, and to call you to a fresh commitment to four things. Now, I could have multiplied this many times over. But these four things that I think are, are so foundational to our, to our life as Christian people. Very practical things here. And the first one is Bible. My friends, let us commit for 2023, as I, as I trust we did for 2022, but let us make a fresh commitment to be engaged with the Word of God. Daily, systematic engagement with Scripture. Every word there is important. Daily. Don't let a day go by, my friends, that you don't meditate and ponder the Word of God. Systematic. Read through the Bible. Don't just open the Bible at random. Read through the Bible. 
I don't, I don't say, I know there's many plans to read through the Bible in a year. Uh, there are some portions of the Bible that you don't need to read every year. Uh, I don't know that you need to read the, the list of names in the first ten chapters of Chronicles every year, right? But there are some portions of the Bible that should be read more than once a year. The Psalms, the Romans, John, right? Genesis, these, these foundational key books of the Bible. At any rate, my friends, a daily systematic engagement engagement, right? That you really think and meditate and pray over the Word of God. Don't make it a routine. It should be routine, but it shouldn't be merely routine. A daily, systematic engagement with the Word of God. And Paul, too, knows the, the, the importance of this. In 2 Timothy 1, so just one chapter back from where we were, he says in verse 13, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, retain Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. He also says in our own chapter, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, he talks about be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Is that for pastors? Yes. But that is for all the people of God, my friends. That we engage with the scripture and that we become those who can handle it accurately. In the second place, my friends, church. Let us commit to a full participation in the life of the church. And yes, my friends, let me say, I believe that means both morning and evening services. In this church, we have an a.m. and a p.m. service. Let's commit as the people of God to engage in both of those worship services and to begin and end the day with the Lord. Do I have a verse that says you have to go to church twice on Sunday? No, I don't. And that's why I'm not going to be dogmatic on this. But in this church, my friends, we have this expectation and a long tradition of meeting twice on the Lord's Day. Do we want to give that up? I don't think we do. And I'm thankful, my friends, that in this church there is such already a strong commitment to both of those services. But anyways, it's not just about the AM and PM services. It's about the life of this church. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, again the chapter that we read together, in verse 22, he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And then in verse 22 he says, Now flee from youthful lusts, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. How? On our own? No. He says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. My friends, what a happy privilege we have to pursue righteousness. And that's a difficult and challenging thing. But we can do it together. We can come together as a church And with all the love and the support and the encouragement that we enjoy from week to week, we can make 2023 a year in which this congregation, this gathering of people, pursues righteousness, faith, holiness, peace, and love together as the people of God, encouraging each other, supporting each other, and yes, painfully sometimes, holding each other accountable, calling us on things that maybe aren't entirely right in our life, My friends, what a blessing it is that we can walk together on our way to glory. 
That we don't have to do it individually. That we can welcome these brothers into the membership of our congregation. Because we're going to walk together. We're going to pursue righteousness with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Or with all those, as Paul said previously, who name the name of Christ. So let us commit to a full participation in the life of this church. And third, my friends, let's reclaim the Lord's day. Because the, the, the common complaint is, isn't it, is time. Oh, I wish I had more time to read. Oh, I wish I had more time to, to, to study God's word. I wish I had more time to fellowship with God's people. Oh, my friends, God's given us 24 hours. Now we've got to spend some of that time sleeping, right? But God's given us this beautiful day every week again. It rolls by. And I, I call upon you in 2023, my friends, that if there are those things which have begun to sneak into your Lord's day, taking your time away, right? Now, I'm not talking about works of necessity. I know many of us have those obligations that we must uh, meet, right? But you be the judge of this. You have Christian discernment. If there are those things that are sneaking and carving out our Lord's day until there's hardly any time left, let's take it back. My friends, God gives us this day. He says that God didn't make man for the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for man. This is God's gift to us. And as we think about those who name the name of Christ as those who, who say the Lord knows them who are His, and we are to abstain from wickedness, to withdraw from wickedness, my friends, let's be vigilant then about finding those things that are taking our Sabbath away from us. And let's cut them off. Let's reclaim the Lord's day. I really feel like number one and two on my list, Bible and church, are, are bound up with the third. Because the Lord's Day is given us for this very reason. To honor God with it. Let me, let me let, as you think about your own, uh, as, as you think about your own uh, keeping of the Lord's Day, my friends, let me challenge you, or let me, let me press you with this. God said in Genesis 2, right, verse 3, that the Lord sanctified the seventh day, right? He set it apart as holy. And as you think in your own mind about how you keep the Lord's Day and as you hope to keep it in 2023, think about that. How do I make this day holy? How do I set it apart for God? Now, I, that, that's going to mean all kinds of different things for different people. But I'm pretty sure, my friends, I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean that the Lord's Day looks like all the rest of the days of the week. I, I think we can all be reasonably certain about that. That if your Lord's Day looks exactly like all the other six days of the week, you're probably missing something. And you're missing something good, my friends. You're missing a treasure. You're missing a gift that God has given to you. Children, did you get presents this, this past week? How would it be if you took one of those presents said, ah, and threw it in the trash? Or just pushed it aside? I've got no use for that. My friends, let's take the treasure that God's given us of the first day of the week and let's make it a Sabbath. Let's sabotage on that day to God's glory. And then the last one is withdraw. Because as I, as I studied this passage, my friends, and I, I think you probably saw this as well, it's striking how many times Paul talks about those who get entangled in the affairs of this life. Follow me here. Take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy 2. I'd like you to see this with your own eyes. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Paul says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. 
Drop down to verse 14. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Drop to verse 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. And then on verse 23. In verse 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Now, my friends, the, 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 the text that we have this morning has told us to abstain or to withdraw from wickedness. Now, I, don't, I don't think I need to... I mean, that's clear, right? If we're doing something wicked, we need to withdraw from it. But, my friends, aren't those those things that, that, that we do that maybe we wouldn't say are wicked, but neither are they godly? They're, 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 they're time wasters. And, and, and there's so much of that in our, in our life. And of course, so much of it is, is because we're so connected, right? Via our phones and our internet connections, we have so much connection to the world around us. But I ask you this morning, my friends, how much of it is empty chatter? How much, how much of it is foolish speculation? The constant politicking that is going on in these online communities... And these people that are forever hysterical about the the world's coming to a crashing halt because of this or because of that. And so much of politics, my friends, is just empty clatter. And again, I, 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 I leave it to your own discernment of how much you engage in those things. But I can't help but think that if Paul had an iPhone, he'd say something about that this morning about all the empty chatter that takes place in those things. And so, of course, we're to withdraw and to abstain from wickedness. But I think that many of these things, and I speak to myself, I ask you this morning, my friends, how much of that can you withdraw from? How much of that time can you take back from the endless scrolling, right? And the empty chatter and the foolish speculations. Well, I, I leave that with you, my friends. And I, I pray that God would give you discernment to know. Uh, and again, I, I'm not here saying that that's all wicked. If it was all wicked, then it would be simple, right? You abstain from it. You've got to throw it out, be done with it. But that's just where the difficulty is, right? It's not all wicked. Some of it is, is even healthy. But how much? To what extent? And maybe in 2023, my friends, we can think about abstaining or withdrawing from some of those communities, those online communities, that in, in, in so many respects draw us into foolish things. And that's why we hear people making claims that we scratch our head and think, can a, can a thinking man really believe that? Well, yeah, if you immerse yourself in these communities, you, you come to start believing it, all right? But leave behind that empty chatter, my friends. Well, so much then for abstaining from wickedness. May God bless these words to us, my friends, and, and, and give us a good year together. Let us come before him in prayer. Lord, we draw near to you at the close of this message. Lord, I pray that we as your people might look at the foundation upon which we stand, and that we might see these twin truths, that the Lord, you, O God, know those who are yours. You've known them from all eternity, and no one can snatch them from your hand. Lord, help us also to give full attention to this truth, that we name the name of Christ, and that we withdraw from wickedness. Lord, give us great discernment in these areas. How difficult these things are. Lord, remember our young families who have so many challenges as they 
seek to raise children in a time when there are so many challenging, deeply, deeply challenging issues that we have to confront. But Lord, remember our our older ones as well. Uh, So many of these things creep into our life, almost imperceptible, and before we know it, uh, we've almost been taken over by them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us on the new year to make a fresh start, to be vigilant, to take inventory of our time, and to know uh, what are those things that are keeping us in the tents of sin and help us to withdraw from them and to, and to throw it behind us and to live a life that is honoring and glorifying to your holy name. Lord, remember us. We pray for your blessing also upon this evening's service. Strengthen us, O oh Lord, to hear your word once more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let's turn now on the blue hymnal to number 437. 437. This is a hymn by Elizabeth Prentice. If you're looking for a book to read, I can highly recommend the biography of Elizabeth Prentice. At any rate, 437, more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. And verse 2, this is something Elizabeth Prentice knew in her own life. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek. Give what is best. So let's sing the Let's sing the first two verses, just verse 1 and 2 of 437.